everybody, it's Doug from AnimeCons TV. There's still not really many conventions happening these days, but thankfully I got to talk to someone very awesome, Lindsay Loveridge, the executive editor at Anime News Network, who was willing to take some time and talk about how conventions have been different and anime fandom in general during the pandemic. It was a delight to talk with her, so without further ado, here's my interview with Lindsay. Welcome everyone back to uh, Anime Cons TV without the cons. I'm joined this time by uh, Lindsay Loveridge. She's the executive editor at Anime News Network, and we're going to talk a little bit about conventions in the time without conventions. But uh, first off, Lindsay, thank you for joining us. Could you give us a little bit of background about what your position is at Anime News Network and sort of what you do and how you got into the role? Uh, sure. Do we have a little bit of time? Because it's a long story. We've got all the time you want. Okay. So um, I've been at Anime News Network for almost 10 years at this point, And I've worked in different capacities during my time there. I actually started as an intern um, while I was living in a different state. And now I've worked in all three of our different writing departments. So I started out in news. And I worked in news as just a reporter there for three or four years and then I was given the opportunity to also work in interest and help develop that section. So I started doing that with Bamboo when she was still working with us and we worked together there. And then when Bamboo moved on to other opportunities, I was given control of the section and that was that was their first mistake because that meant I was never going to leave. So they gave me interest and so I started working with, uh, I was doing interest in news and then just completely interest for a while and was then offered the opportunity to um, co-run editorial with uh, Zach Ritchie. And so we worked together for a couple years and then I took over his role in June. So I went from intern and now I am the executive editor of the website. And I guess if you were to describe what I do um, now, is uh, sometimes I work on the investigative side of things, which um, I helped launch back during my interest days. But now I also, um, let's see, uh, a little bit of everything. I do, uh, I coordinate uh, op-eds, I do interviews or coordinate interviews, I manage review coverage for all of the anime, manga, and video games on the website. Uh, I co-manage or I manage the uh, event write-ups when we had events anyway, and um, I also help with all of our video production over on our YouTube page. And I've also gotten the opportunity to this was really fun um, help design some of our new merchandise that we just is I think our first line of merchandise that we've had. So I've got to help uh, kind of shoot ideas off for that. So hey, we've got shirts over at Kaimono Merch. You should go look those up. Also some cool coffee cups. <laughs> that, that, that coffee mug is on my list, and I've already told a couple of people, hey, my birthday's coming up, and you know yeah. I can't. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have one. I have one of each shirt, and I also have a have a coffee cup. And if, if we're lucky, we might have some um, new stuff to add there pretty soon. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, so moving on to conventions. Outside of uh, Japan, conventions are really where anime and manga companies, especially ones that are licensed titles for kind of domestic distribution in America and other countries, that's kind of where the primary way they um, announce them. Like, how has the kind of announcement structure changed because of the pandemic? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. Usually, usually if you wanted to find out like the latest stuff that got licensed or was going to be coming out, you went to a company uh, industry panel at your local con and they would sort of tell you, oh, here's our new releases, you know, here's what's coming out in the next couple months and here's the brand new stuff we're just announcing now, so you're on the up and up about it. But um, once cons, you know, had to take a back seat, so th that upended that structure. And so what we saw, especially over the summer, is we had a couple of companies like Funimation, Crunchyroll, Aniplex, they all launched their own virtual conventions, which, I mean, the atmosphere isn't really the same for a virtual convention versus an in-person convention. The energy, I think, is different. But it was, it was really interesting to see sort of how that worked out for them, if it worked out for them. And they made their announcements that way. So it was still kind of like being at a con. If I had to compare it to anything, it was like supersized Nintendo Directs. Like, we're all used to Nintendo Directs. We get excited for those. <laughs> when they're going to announce, you know, new Animal Crossing, new Mario property, new uh, Zelda property. So that was sort of the, the anime version of that. But once those stopped during the summer, we kind of saw the virtual event thing fade out once the primary con usual con season was over. And then it just went to uh, press releases or they announced things on their social media, like on Twitter. Or does Disco Tech still primarily do Facebook? They've had the they've had basically their own like disco tech day things, uh, right? Like and things like that. Yeah, those that, that those were I was those one of the few industry ones that where I actually went to because they're kind of the industry panel I always prioritized at Oticon and a couple other events. Yeah, it's and, always fun to see like what old property they've managed to pick up, and uh, Mike's got great energy. Like oh, he's, he, his voice is. Great. I'll just listen to that guy talk. So, I mean, uh, yeah. Agreed. He, it, it's, I think he's got a good sense of how to run those panels because they do a lot more. And I've talked about this before. They pull back the curtain. Yeah. They talk about the how, the process in which they are trying to restore this thing. Or here's this crazy new technology that Justin Savakis bought because for Project Echo, are you talking about Project Echo? Yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. He told me that story a little bit. Like they found some guy in Britain who I think he just shot him, um, just sort of an email out of the blue, and was like, "Hey, I've invented this thing, and here's some examples of what I can do with it." And Justin was like, "Who are you?" Um, but the guy came back in his uh, screenshots. You know, they were really good, and that's how they ended up um, coordinating with this this person's uh, new technology to do those echo restorations and it looks fantastic yeah. so I, yeah in particular i think discotech is the one best suited for that because they keep it a little for lack of a better word weird and it already and we're living in weird times so their their announcement uh uh stream and stuff is the perfect channel for them yeah yeah um, it's always worth turning into a, a discotheque event just to see what kind of shenanigans they've gotten up to. And I feel like they're very like authentic in their, both in like what they're doing and, the, and their nerdiness that they, they present. like, you know, that these are guys who really know the technical specs of things and are like in the nitty gritty of it. And they're going to do their, their best job in the restoration. But yeah, outside of um, holding virtual events like that, um, most of the announcements have basically just uh, come out on Twitter. Especially, especially for book publishers, you see a lot of um, like Seven Cs will say, "Hey, we're going to give you six new announcements on Twitter on Thursday at this time," and that's how you get them. Mm -hmm. 
Related to that, what has been just kind of the most noticeable change aside from these kind of virtual con and streams? What's been kind of the most noticeable change for the anime and manga industry and how you guys report it during the pandemic? So from an editorial standpoint, um, we've had to make adjustments both in what we cover and how we do it. So typically, I mean, we have correspondents in Tokyo and typically they'd be heading to exhibitions where, you know, there's artwork on display um, and you can kind of peruse around that. Um, they might be going to uh, first two episode screenings at a movie theater with the cast and staff and getting some info there. Or they'd be going to the really, really big events like uh, Anime Japan or uh, the Tokyo Game Show and doing coverage of the floor and things like that. None of that exists right now. Like, there's none of that. Um, we also do movie premieres when they come out in Japan, if it's for the particularly, like, big movies, like uh, the Demon Slayer movie or something. But um, it's not safe to send a reporter into a movie theater in Tokyo right now. Like, their COVID numbers are not good. Uh, they haven't really kept a lid on it over there. Um, not that the United States has much to talk about, but... Right. But I can't... I can't send my, my correspondent there and say, yeah, you need to go risk getting COVID to go watch a movie. Like, I can't do that. <laughs> so... Um, we either wait to see if maybe they'll give us a screener or um, it shows up on like Abema TV or some other uh, like legal streaming platform over here in the United States. So you might not get a review until it's streaming on Netflix or Crunchyroll or something, because I'm just not going to I'm not going to make that that kind of call for that kind of reason. So um, it also has changed how we do our interviews. Typically, interviews were done in person too. like they'd head over to the studio where the representatives were at, the talent would be there and we interview them. But we're not doing that either. All of that is done remotely, either back and forth via email or a video chat like what we're doing now and doing it that way. And uh, honestly, it's kind of more convenient in some ways from our side of things if we don't have to have people trucking around everywhere. But it has meant that some of the coverage I really like to do um, in the editorial section just hasn't been able to happen. Mm -hmm. As as kind of a fellow reporter, I've missed, you know, kind of seeing who's coming to a convention and, you know, sometimes going to one event that I really want to see and then running over to the press lounge to because there's some interview that I got the chance that I can't believe I got the chance to talk to this person and I want to do both and stuff like that. And it's as as a reporter for me personally, it's one of the things I've missed most is the the, uh, the must-do events and things like that and trying to cram as much as I can into three days. Yeah, and it's hard when you can't, like, get hype about something because so-and-so is going to have a concert or um, they're bringing in this director for a big property or, you know, one of the big things about Anime Expo is that they'll have a worldwide... They were having worldwide premieres up until this point, so, like, if you were there, you got to see it, like, first first. It wasn't just, like, the dub first. You, like, you were seeing it before anyone else in the world was was seeing it. And it'll be interesting to see how or if um, that, you know, that comes back or not. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of how things are going to come back, are there any practices you've seen the industry kind of adopt during the pandemic that you think are things that they should kind of keep doing or, or possibly even the opposite of practices that once the pandemic's over, you never want to see again, hope nobody ever does this again? Or anything like that. Um, I mean, I want to. I want to see some of the hype come back 
So that that's that's the big thing that I'd like to see. Although I wouldn't be sad if this helped normalize mask usage in the United States to some degree, because I mean we've all heard of con crud. It's just considered like a thing that goes with conventions. Is you're going to go to the convention and you're going to be in a swarm of people and you know, maybe there's not a lot of hand sanitizer or anything around or people are coughing into their elbows, but, you know, there's someone else like right here, or right there, and you get con crud. Um, I feel like maybe if mask usage was normalized a little more, like, it would prevent that. I would totally be down, like, post-pandemic vaccine, everything, just wearing one when I'm in the hallways and stuff to help prevent just getting a cold or something. Um so that, that would be one thing that um, it might be nice to see more of in those really crowded spaces. Uh, I'll also be interested to see what the dealer's hall looks like going forward when cons come back, because um, I don't have any of these numbers, but obviously, you know, the dealer's hall, the big companies, Aniplex, Crunchyroll, Funimation, all of those, they set up these really big booths there, you know, they got shit coming from the ceiling and all kinds of stuff like hanging out and uh, they'll put together these... Um, like these really cool displays and stuff. But I assume that, you know, that's an investment both in materials, inventory that you have to ship out, someone to, you know, staff for the booths. You need enough people to rotate so everyone's getting like reasonable hours um, while other people are running panels and whatnot. And I'm wondering how much of that investment is going to still feel necessary post-pandemic. If they look at their numbers after this year and see that not you know, they haven't had those ex those expenditures. And if they look at their numbers and see that it didn't affect their sales that greatly, I mean, are they going to want to keep doing that? I don't I don't know that. I mean, I'll miss them if they're not there. I, I like, you know, the, the sort of uh, going booth browsing around in the dealer's hall, even if I'm not buying a whole lot, just because it feels really big and um, like you're at a special event. But from a from a financial perspective, I don't know if uh, the companies will want to still keep that up yeah the spectacle is always neat because there's always you were always at least one title that it's really they're promoting that that's what they choose or yeah this, how they choose to promote it and it was always interesting yeah i like to see um when they get really creative with it we saw some really good creativity from some of them um at the ax a couple it was either last year, well, not last year, but the last year or the year right before that, Crunchyroll hired um, people, living people, to be Dr. Stone uh, folks. So, like, they were in, like, all, like, makeup and everything, so they looked petrified, and they just had to stand still on this, like, uh, little podium for, like, the entire time. I imagine that they probably showed up before the doors opened, like, got in their pose, and then were standing there until... I mean, I never saw the podium empty. They had to let them, like, go sit down eventually, right? Like, they weren't really there from, like, open to close. But um, that those are some things that make cons really fun, especially the really big ones, is you see the companies, like, really go outside the box to come up with neat ideas to promote a title. Uh, and that one, that one stuck with me. I mean, even if, you know, you weren't a Dr. Stone fan, like, you're like, hey, whoa, that's weird. I'd never seen anyone do that before. So the creative booths are always the ones that stick out to you. Um, Otakon, I want to say, was 2018, maybe 2019, where they had that big Dragon Ball booth, and you could look like you were eating Goku's meal in front of, like... Oh, like it was like a photo op space or something? It was a photo op space, That's and like fun, you had a big yeah. chunk of meat and everything, and 
it's one that I'll always remember just because it was interactive and you could not miss it. Yeah, yeah. I gotta make it out to... Otakon's really high on my list of where to make it out to once cons come back. Because I haven't actually been to an East Coast con, especially not to Otakon, since it was in Baltimore. And that was still probably, like, 2011, maybe. So I'm usually just stuck here on the on the West Coast. But um, I definitely want to make it out to, to Otakon once it comes back. Especially now that's in Washington, D.C. I've never been to Washington, D.C. So there's, like, a ton of tourism to do there, yeah. too. Well, yeah. Fingers crossed, and you know, oh, hopefully, okay. we'll be able to do another one of these in person at Otakon because that would be great. Yeah, yeah, that would be super <laughs> fun. Um, I wanted to backtrack a little. One of the things you're mentioning is things you'd like to see kind of keep up afterwards. You mentioned mask wearing at a convention. I'd love to see cons kind of promote that a bit more. And I think it's also just as you mentioned it, the idea that clicked in my mind was. Why don't artists in Artist Alley start doing masks? Like some, you know, some people have done the very basic of, you know, it's a themed fabric, turn it into a mask. But, you know, I could see people doing like, oh, this character wears a face mask or has a distinct look there. I'm going to design a mask that someone can wear like that. And that's a great, unique item. Yeah, like uh, like Kakashi from Naruto or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, that would be really cool. And I, I think... I think the social acceptability of it will will help with that because it used to be like, yeah, you might wear a mask with your cosplay at a convention, but you couldn't wear it typically like outside of that. Like you couldn't go into a convenience store with one on because then they thought you were going to rob the place. Like it used to be a thing on Halloween. Like if you went to 7-Eleven, they're like, remove your mask before coming inside. But now, um, you know, you can't go in without wearing one. If you want to wear your Kakashi mask <laughs> all over the damn place, like, that's great. You know, it's totally, it's yeah. totally a normal thing. So yeah, I think that would be a neat idea. I bet we'll, we'll definitely see, I think, uh, mask vendors still in Artist Alley um, come next year for sure. Yeah. yeah. Free, free idea to the uh, Artist Alley. Yeah. If you're watching this, uh, hey. Please do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can give you a list of my favorite Gundams that have distinct mouths if you need ideas. <laughs> oh, like the mechas? Oh, I would I would love a Gundam themed like handmade mask something. Oh, that would be cool. So where it kind of looked looks... like it was metallic or something, so it actually. Oh, looked absolutely! Like you had... Yeah, that would that would look so out. cool. So yeah, but um, finally, you know, we're, we've thrown out a couple different anime titles of things that we've remembered here, and you mentioned the Demon Slayer movie being a big thing that's happened during this time. Do you think there are any uh, anime or manga titles that? have kind of missed their chance of like a 15 minutes of fame because of the pandemic. I always think that there's one or two titles that you see every year that they are the big thing. Everyone's cosplaying it or the artist alley has just full of fan art for them. And you only see them for that year and then they're gone. Like only a trickle happens. Do you think there are any titles that we've seen that happen for this year? Well, I was thinking, I was thinking about that and I think, um, there are like certain anime titles, like you said, who kind of get a second life through cosplay or the cosplay itself helps bring more awareness to it. And I think that's doubly true for anything that gets dumped on Netflix. Because with Netflix, there's that binge model, right? And it seems like everything that gets put on there, it's, you know, held up and then they drop it all at once and you watch it all in like two days and people talk about it on Twitter for a little while and then it's over. And there are a couple series from Netflix that I feel like uh, would definitely be like perking up a lot on in cosplay like Doro Hidoro 
Like, hey, if anyone slept on that, please go watch it. It was one of my favorite shows last year, and it's fantastic, and the manga is great. And I would love to see some crazy, like, Doro Hidoro cosplay. Like, all you need is, like, one tall, buff dude and, like, a lizard mask, and people will be going, like, who is What is that? Like, what's that character? What's that from? Oh, I'm from Doro Hidoro. Where's that at Netflix? So it's just... Um, and there's so many cool masks in that show, too, that we kind of brought up that I don't think would work uh, from a medicinal standpoint. But, like, one of the guys has, like, a heart mask. Like, it looks, oh, yeah. Wow. Not, like, symbolically, but, like, it's, like, anatomical. So, oh, I mean, they're, yeah, it's really cool. Every, yeah, all the wizards and stuff wear these, uh, wear these complicated masks in that show. So that would definitely be one where I feel like we'd be seeing a lot of cosplay. Um Definitely Demon Slayer. I think we'd be seeing Demon Slayer cosplay all over the place, but I'm not sure if that show needs any help. Like, it's doing really good on its mm-hmm. own. So I don't. Fe- I feel like it's definitely got its uh, three hours of fame if most things <laughs> only get, like, 15 minutes. Um, another one would be Beastars, which I think that one lives on the internet pretty well because of the manga and because it's getting a second season. But again, like, that would be like the furry place to shine. Like if you're into furry, like you could be Legosi and you would get so much attention at conventions <laughs> if you dressed up like Legosi or Haru or um, Jack, the really, the really friendly um, golden retriever or something. So I feel like Netflix titles in particular would definitely benefit from more exposure via cosplay at cons or more promotion at cons. Um, Crunchyroll does a pretty good job of maintaining their individual social accounts that I think helps keep people engaged. But it's still it's still really hard, I think, when everything is just living only on the internet, streaming on the internet, all conversations about it are happening all on the internet, all the creative stuff tends to be taking place on the internet. And it's different when you get to go to a con and you see it in person, and then it has a little bit more gravity to, oh, this really is really big. Look at all these people here dressed up like these characters or... I think quintessential quintuplets would also be like a pretty, a pretty big like standard cosplay at cons at this point. Kind of in the same way that the Oran High School Host Club characters, you know, you you still see people in those uniforms with the wig. I think we'd get the same thing from quintessential quintuplets if cons were happening. Yeah. So yeah, we're missing out on all that fun like in-person fandom stuff right now. I yeah, I mean, I think of how many times I have gone to a convention where I've seen a bunch of people cosplaying something that I had no idea what I had to ask what it what it what what are they from yeah or and the other one that always stands out to me is AMVs where right. I see a great music video for a series I've never seen before and all I've like after two and a half minutes of that song I'm like I need to go watch this show now yeah, this looks like it's got great action sequences or it looks really funny or the character designs are really interesting. And um, it would be neat. I, I feel like with an AM, you know, those are usually like AMV contests. And I'm surprised like no one's um, ran a digital, some sort of digital version of that. I, I've heard there's been some issues with the uh, streaming rights. Right. With the music companies, unfortunately. Yeah. Put it on YouTube and it's going to get flagged. Yeah. yeah. You have to use that's, like Mio or some underground. Yeah. Yeah. But... It's it's so funny though thinking about like the exposure from conventions like I can think back to my very first convention Otakon 2001 
where it was, why are all these guys carrying crosses wrapped up in white cloth and black straps? They were wolfwood. And and then it was like, you know, now it's like, oh, everyone was doing, it was Trigun's big day. Yeah. Um, That was also the convention where there was a bunch of fully coolie AMVs and I hadn't seen it yet. Yeah. And, you know, now it's like a pivotal, those are both pivotal anime to kind of my experience and everything. And I still that get those. pillow song experience. still slaps, by the way. That pillow song is still, <laughs> still really yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> those, those are great, great ones, too. And they're, they're, it's nice to be able to think that these were ones that made it that, you know, even if they're not, you know, public focus, like the, the spotlight, you, you drop the name to most anime fans. They're like, oh, yeah, that show's great. So yeah. those are... Yeah, I, I bet we'd be seeing like a whole bunch of Demon Slayer AMVs right now, and then I'm, or uh, the Promised Neverland, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, second season of that just came out, and um, I'm kind of excited to watch that one. Uh, yeah, it's just we, yeah, we're definitely missing out on a lot of that camaraderie or being able to really like show off your your hard like creative work and um, in fandom in, in those in those ways, whether it's through cosplay or, or AMVs or some um, at an artist alley booth with your you know fan art prints, all that kind of stuff. So I I miss it. I definitely miss it. I have I have big dreams to like go to almost all of the big cons when it's safe and available to do so. So like I want to go to AX because I haven't you know didn't get to go to that. Definitely want to make it out to Otakon. Um, if you got any other recommendations for like super cool ones I need to stop by, like I mean, let me know. Like I'm ready to just like jet set. I, I I'm going to let my bias show as a member of the staff, Anime Boston. I will give Oh right. Give, Anime uh, Boston's a good one that I haven't been to. Also, uh, I love Boston. I haven't but yeah. yeah. Um but uh I would say Otakon is routinely one of my favorite convention experiences. Um, that's when they get the really good musical guests, don't they? Like they they get the end. Again, I know some of the people that work in the live production side of that, and they work so hard to make a good performance and a good experience. And some of my favorite musical experience uh, performance things I've seen there from Yoko Kano doing her special piano piano thing. I still think one of the best ones I've seen was TM Revolution and Homei Kazuko together. And they are two very different styles, but the fact that they were back to back and then they came together at the end and still managed to blend together was... That sounds really cool. I'd love to see TM Revolution live. He's both a very attractive man and a great performer. And so, yeah, that would would be awesome. And I'm jealous of anyone who got to go to the Yoko Kano concert. Like, that had to have been amazing, too. I, I, that's, it's one of the few, cause they did a special concert ticket. It's one of the few, um, concert tickets where I really held on to that super carefully. And that's one of those, you know, you can take that from my cold dead hands. Yeah. You got to put it in a shadow box or something and like put it on your wall if you haven't Absolutely. already. Um, the last one I'll give a shout out if you're looking for suggestions is anime NYC. Okay. It, it's gotten, it's, it's growing very big, but they've gotten some neat stuff. I'm biased because they've gotten a lot of Gundam-related things, but and going back to the concerts, um, they did uh, the Gundam Thunderbolt second movie premiere, which was all this crazy jazz music and yeah. stuff, and it was one of the most different, unique uh, performances I'd ever seen for music at a convention. So that would be another one that I 
I'd recommend. Yeah, I know the folks that run that show, and they're great. So I'm sure they won't, like, once they have, you know, things up and running again in person, I don't think I'll be able to get out of not going. Like, yeah. Peter would probably, like, start hitting me over the head or something. Like, <laughs> why aren't you here? So, yeah. Yeah. So, well, uh, lastly, is there anything else you want to mention to us or want to tell some of our viewers what the best place is to follow you so they can find out what you're up to? Oh, sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at ANN underscore Lindsay. Um, I kind of run my mouth off on there all the time. So I will. you will get some anime news and pictures of my cats, sometimes stuff about my kids, um, politics, that kind of stuff. But uh, if you just want the anime uh, experience, then you should just go to AnimeNewsNetwork.com. Um, all of our editorial is up there. We've got three features a week, which include interviews or op-eds. Um, I've got a new manga or anime review every single day. And then we've also got game reviews there as well. And we have a YouTube channel now. So please like look up Anime News Network on YouTube because we're doing video editorials over there. And our team is just like awesome. Um, they've got some really interesting, some really interesting stuff on there. We've got uh, Matthew. He does some of the retro stuff back. So if you like older anime, he's done some deep dives recently into um, Legend of Galactic Heroes and also Now and Then Here and There, which is one that's really close to my heart. That's really good. So yeah, we're on all of the platforms. We're even on Instagram. So <laughs> you can find Anime News Network everywhere. You can't escape us, really. So don't try. I appreciate all the work you guys do. There's so many resources I've used there from, you know, getting ver like verifying that news is real or unfortunately sometimes fake because it just a poorly written article went viral. Um, but thank you for all the hard work you guys do there. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me and our viewers tonight. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Doug. This was really fun. All right, cool. Well, well, you should definitely have to catch up soon at another convention in person down the road once it's safe to do so. For so, sure. Let's get sandwiches. Sounds like a plan. Thank okay. you very much. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Once again, that was our interview with Lindsay Loveridge, uh, executive editor at Anime News Network. I want to give her a heartfelt thanks for taking the time to chat. If you guys have any other questions about what we've been up to, if you have uh, suggestions for podcasts you'd like to see, either questions, feedback, and everything like that, don't forget to get in touch with us. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all over the place. You can always leave us an email at podcast at animecons.tv. You can uh, give us a, a phone call at 762-ADEQUATE. And leave us a voicemail and just let us know how you're doing. We miss you guys. We miss conventions. We miss seeing you guys at conventions. We hope we'll see you guys soon. But in the meantime, we're going to keep finding ways to get episodes out to you. And we hope you're doing well. I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.